This is back to back. Yo, what's up, back to backers? This is Willie Joy. Welcome to the show. This is back to back. This is my podcast. You're listening to it. How are you doing? How's everybody this week? I hope you had a great weekend. Happy April. Happy spring. I've been moving into a new place for like the last month. It seemed like it took forever. All of that is finally settling down. I'm getting back to business. And in that time, I've been working on a ton of music, working with a bunch of really awesome artists. And obviously, uh, I've been spending a lot of time thinking about this podcast. My guest on the show this week This was out of the blue, but ended up being so, so good. Uh, My guest is I.O., and he's got a new track out right now with Tommy Trash. It's called Let Me Go. It's out on Mousetrap Records. Uh, He's been releasing a bunch of amazing music on Mousetrap over the last couple years. And he's also on tour. I think he's pretty close to finishing up the Techno Demons tour. But if you haven't caught him already, I'm going to put a link in the description of this episode where you can get the remainder of the tour dates, you can get the music, and you can just stay up to date with IO because it seems like he's just always doing something fun. I had never really had a conversation like this on the show before. Uh, It was super refreshing, really interesting, and I'm going to tell you all about it in just a minute. Before that, as always, I just want to give a big shout out to everybody who's been letting me know that they're tuned into the show, everybody who's been spreading the word, telling other people to check us out. And look, you may have heard me say this before, but I always get asked, you know, what's the best way I can support this show? What's the best way I can help out and get involved? And uh, the best way is just word of mouth, just helping spread the word about back to back. And whether that's just telling a friend about us, somebody you think would enjoy this show, or, you know, making a post, putting something in your story, letting people know that they should come join the party over here. You know, if you tag me, if you tag the show, I'll always repost your content, reply to you. I love interacting with everybody, meeting everyone who's listening to the show every week. That's really my favorite part. Or you can repost something I put up too. All of that really does help. It helps the show grow. It helps us get better guests and make better content for you. Basically, this is a community show and I want you to feel like you're part of that community. So shout out to everybody out there supporting. And in that spirit, don't forget, you can always hit me up. My name is at Willie Joy on all social media or at back to back pod. My email is back to back pod at gmail.com. You can hit me up there, send me your questions, your concerns, your thoughts about the show. If there was some part of the conversation you really liked or something that you had questions about, we can talk about it. You know, if you do something creative, you can send me your work. I always love checking out, you know, there's so many talented people who listen to this show and it's a treat to get, you know, exposed to all of your work too. And uh, if you're running out of episodes here, if you've binged through them all, you can also check out the Back to Bangers play playlist on Spotify. That's a playlist that I update every single week with music from my guests on the show, music from myself. Anytime I put something out, I'm going to be throwing it in there. And also just music that we talk about in these conversations. It's a cool little reference. uh, So go check that out. The link
link is in the description of the episode as well. So yeah, for this conversation with IO today, this was one of those rare interviews where I really had zero connection to him. I would not even really a lot of mutual friends. Uh, I just really like his music. And when his name came across my desk, I just said yes, because I think he's a great musician. And I just wanted to see what his deal was. No idea what I was getting into, and it ended up being uh, such a fun conversation. Uh, within the first, I don't know, five minutes, we were talking about deep philosophical questions about existence. Uh, he's a bit of a nihilist, which was really fun to dig into. And then once we started talking about music, I think we sort of figured out that we had, you know, shared uh, a lot of similar experiences, could relate to each other. His story is really interesting and pretty unique in, in a lot of ways, you know, from uh, sort of failed past projects and not knowing the right path to finding success with the IO project and really focusing in on his vision, not letting anything external affect that. I think it's inspiring. I think the way he got there is cool. And yeah, his viewpoint is just different from other people I've talked to. It was refreshing. It was great to have him on the show. And like I said, he's got a new record out with Tommy Trash right now that's called Let Me Go. It's on Mousetrap. Uh, you can follow the link in the description of this episode to go check out all his music. He's also on tour. But for right now, let's just get into it. I think you're really going to like this one. This is me and I.O. back to back. Let's go. I like that you got a tiny Pepsi. Yeah, they give you soda here. But only tiny sodas. I did not. Would you like a soda? Uh, No, I'm okay. Okay, they have. They only have one of each kind. So if you wanted a Pepsi, you'd kind of be out of luck. We got diet Pepsi and then probably a Sprite. I didn't look. That's fair. You're you're a Pepsi man. I'm not. I was like, I don't want to drink this pH water nonsense. Is this even pH water? I feel like I'm getting alkali. No. That's like the the Starbucks water. Yeah, Yeah. I didn't have any pH ratings on it. This is like kind of. This is like very retro. Is that really a thing? I'm like pH such water? a. I don't know. I, I feel like this is a very this is such a DJ conversation to talk about like <laughs> pH water, alkali but, water. <laughs> but I mean, are you actually into that? Like, I know nothing about. It. Like, I'm I drink I from know. the tap half. Well, the time. I mean, I know that it doesn't like change the pH of your body. That's impossible. Your liver, your liver and kidneys regulate that. But the I do think that I mean I don't know might be full of shit it, that it neutralizes stomach acid. So if you're like mm. have like stomach acid. Um, like heart burn or whatever. Okay. Although, like, I will if drink a lot of it. We, we work at this rock climbing gym sometimes, and the um, they have all the pH waters there, like nine point five fucking pH or whatever. Which honestly, <laughs> at that point, might be harmful. When yeah, you think that about seems it. Very high. It's like pretty much like like drinking soap or something. <laughs> but the uh, but yeah, I feel sick after if I do it too much. Like mm. drinking, like stomach, like starts to be like, "Yo, dude, what are you doing?" That's interesting. I gotta talk to somebody like an expert or like a sales, well, not a salesman. But yeah, they're gonna be like, "Yeah, yeah. your blood now <laughs> like, oh, is it's really good. Turns it into it. gold. <laughs> like you'll start peeing money. It's weird. It hurts at first. <laughs> yeah, but you'll get used. It's to It's mostly metal money, so it's just nickels. Oh, it's like it's like passing a kidney stone, but you're rich. Yeah, <laughs> we're not that much rich. You could probably take the. Bus. Though, yeah. 
after like a few times. It's, it's actually not a great. Sales Don't pitch. drink yeah. this. Yeah, in I'm, the end, I wish like, I save yourself. <laughs> he's, he's, got, he's like, I can't get out. Yeah. <laughs> It's a pyramid scheme. <laughs> oh fuck! It might. I don't know. It might be. Yeah. All right. Well, that's a as good a way to start as any. <laughs> yeah. All right. Cool. pH water. pH water, baby. I don't know. I swear though. There's like there's this weird thing, and it's not DJ specific. I think it's anybody who sort of travels for a living. You there is this sort of culture of like sometimes you do need to treat yourself. Yeah. Whether that's like a fancy pH water, or you know everybody's got their one thing yeah, yeah. that they'll just like they'll land and they'll buy you know spend thirty dollars on something no one else would ever <laughs> buy. Yeah I have a friend who when he graduated college um he's like an engineer so he immediately started making like a ridiculous amount of money and I like he would always buy what he called bougie water and get like sparkling water of right. some sort like something I'm gonna mispronounce. Um so I'm not even gonna try. <laughs> yeah. And but yeah that was his thing. And then like yeah all the touring DJs always are like yeah like into these random like dietary fads because they're just so bored on planes reading Twitter. Totally, totally, yeah. And it's like it's like, to me, it's almost like a weird way of control. Like this yeah. is something I get. I get to choose. Yeah. Like, Meanwhile, I'm gonna go like drink a whole bottle of tequila and smoke a pack of cigarettes later. So, well, yeah, there's that part of it too. Yeah. Do you have any anything on tour like that? Like something you need to have with you, or or like a comfort food? Anything? I just like had. That? I just bought two cups of coffee for no reason. I didn't want them. Yeah, and I was like, I just perfect. if I'm drinking this now and I have it, so <laughs> I needed it. But like, but yeah, I always have like like random ass cookies and like Cliff bars and shit in my backpack so that I never eat real. Like, do you travel food. with snacks? Do you bring your snacks? Yeah, all the time. Oh, that's I do that too, and I, I feel like not enough people do that. Well, it's I mean, I live out of my backpack like just my entire life has okay. been like never being in one place, and mm. so I always have like because oh, like there's gonna be times you're sitting, it's like. You know, two a.m. in the studio, and you're like, I don't have anything to eat. Nothing is open. I'm gonna fall apart, and I'm gonna start fighting people on Twitter right now. So <laughs> I need to eat something or just like go to sleep, and that's not gonna happen because again, I just had 16 cups of coffee. Right. So and yeah, you, you always need a show. Yeah. yeah, like something to do. Yeah, that's fair, and, and that's actually for me too. I would always, I don't do this much anymore, but I would finish a show, you know, it's two or three in the morning, and then I I would want to eat after that. Yeah. And I would always eat garbage. Yeah. I, but now, if I bring something with me, then, you know, it's just not an I've taken that option away from myself. Yeah. And it works out way better. Because it doesn't actually, I don't care if I eat garbage or something healthier. Yeah. I would just go there because it's 3 a.m. Yeah. You know? It's because I have habitually eaten every time I play a show. So. Now I have to eat, and depending on yeah, I have a friend who tours extensively, like all the time, and gets um, I forget what the company is, but something sent to him, like oh. healthy options sent everywhere he goes. Oh, interesting. Or maybe it's just in Vegas. Like Either way, one of those like prepackaged food yeah, companies. food prep shit, like everywhere all the time. And I was like, that's a really like. That's like thinking ahead. That's mm. like, oh man, you're gonna do this for a while. You're yeah, touring. that's that's really smart. Actually, I like that. This is actually something I haven't talked about that much on the show. It's like, yeah, different people's coping strategies. Sort of how you <laughs> just tour depression, <laughs> dude. I was on the train today and I was like um, talking to a bunch of friends and like just over text. It's like you're on the train alone for three hours. Like I don't know what I was gonna do. Um, and like you could you know sub that out for airplane or whatever. But yeah. on a train you have service. And that I found myself, and like, God, I'm so like judgmental about every other DJ and like every other person I see on the internet. <laughs> but then I found myself, I'm sitting there and I'm reading Feed Me and Kill the Noise, go back and forth on 
like cyberpunk aesthetic and like Blade Runner and whether Oh, I saw that about whether it's better to like watch it in the original like shittier format. Yeah, it's like it was most <laughs> I think it was supposed to be a conversation about aesthetic, but I obviously hopped in and was like, "Yeah, nothing matters and art isn't real." <laughs> and then like I just find myself like 16 tweets deep talking about like nihilistic perspective on like existential art and like whether anything actually means anything and what's the purpose of art. And I think like because Jake gen- like generally is a very insightful person. He's one of my favorites. And yeah. he's like trying to combat he's like okay, but that's not all right. Well, fuck. What were we talking about? Like I'm trying to I'm trying to argue with you, but also I don't really even know what you're talking about anymore. Right. And then feed me's over in his side of the world being like, yeah, like like none of you guys get this. And I'm like, god, I'm like now I'm a now I'm the guy I hate. Now I'm the person that has 16 like page thread on Twitter about existential art. Right. And all right. I wanted to do was just talk to somebody cuz I was on a train alone. <laughs> Like fuck, access man. to Wi-Fi is dangerous. I know, man. man, and it's the same shit I used to get like give people so much shit about when they just start talking shit on Twitter, like you know, because everyone has like their tour depression or like their like their moments. Maybe they're drunk, maybe they're just becoming hungover or whatever it is. But and you're reading all their shit, and you're like, what are you fucking talking about? Right. But it's because you're not in their headspace, and they're alone on a plane in Hong Kong. And yeah, like, you don't know where they're at in their day, yeah. and <laughs> what they've been through the last week. <laughs> and then you just like get fed it on Twitter, and you're like, oh, god damn it. <laughs> I am literally that person now. Okay, so you said something in there, which uh, probably we could spend the next entire hour talking about. Much uh, like his Twitter conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's, <laughs> let's actually make this an IRL Twitter beef. Yeah. Uh, what Does art have meaning? Oh, God. Um, are <laughs> we no, being serious? I, I, no, I mean, I'm serious in the sense of like, let's apply it to what you do and, and your own art, right? Oh, yeah. Like, and, and I think about it in terms of what I do. Like, We're all here because we love the music. We love doing what we do. You know, everybody's in it for slightly different reasons, but it's a, it's a community. It's based around similar ideals, and, and so for me, because I, I wonder this too. Like, I'm I'm very much an absurdist, and especially like we have a very ridiculous job, yes. right? <laughs> and and I'll have those moments like playing to a room full of kids at two in the morning, playing ridiculous music to weirdos jumping around. <laughs> I'm like, this doesn't feel real. But then at the same time, maybe nothing. Everything else doesn't feel well, real. It, it's a weird thing. Preface that by well, first there's I have a tattoo on my knees and it says nothing matters. Yeah. Um, so I generally don't think anything has a point. But it's funny that you say what you just said because. Alongside of this entire existential conversation about art and whether or not it means anything, with two obviously very intelligent DJs who again do the same absurd job that I'm doing, and still somehow are seeking meaning, <laughs> even though it's like, yeah, your whole life is generally making a meaningless life meaningful to other people, and <laughs> my, simultaneously talking about existential art, and on the other thread, like the actual posts to like the Twitter are. Me playing Sandstorm, non ironically. <laughs> and so <laughs> I'm sitting there being like, all right, like, I, this is so meta. I don't understand. Like, we're talking about how nothing has a point, and I'm literally just making a point about nothing having a point. Right. And that is <laughs> the point. And I don't, I think that, I hope that was lost on everybody because that was just like watching those two threads simultaneously build. I was like, I can't be a uh, part of this. That's, that's kind of incredible. Well, I mean, what, what is it though that, keeps you here like if nothing matters why do this instead of something else that's actually like I mean people always ask me what the name means IO like what it stands for and stuff like that and it comes from like the the general uh, I don't even know where to begin with this but it's more or less the idea that 
like you're sitting in a vacuum, right? Like essentially, like your existentialist self, which is a, a, a thing in a void, a consciousness in a void, is um, it's there, and you could remove it, you could kill yourself, that's fine. But if you do that, like you already kind of know how that's going to end up. So you kind of have two choices: you have to like remain like idle, do nothing, and sit there, um, and that gets boring because you're just you know it becomes this feedback loop of nothingness. And then the other option you have is to create something. And mm-hmm. so what you what you choose to create kind of end up ends up being your reality. So you could create. Um, I mean, you see with everything, you have people that create negativity and they live in this world of negativity. You have people that create positivity and they live in this world of positivity. Um, and neither are right or wrong. It's simply that you are just reflecting the things that you've created. And then you have things that like create entire worlds that they inhabit. And the idea is that you want to create a mental space that you enjoy inhabiting, whether it be negative or positive. And so. The IO name, what it came from was the idea of kind of all things being one thing. So you're creating, um, like, literally the I is infinite and the O is one. Okay. Um, and that spawns, obviously, like, and, and fuck, man, I feel like I'm going to go off the rails in this. But, no, I love this. Um, because, like, then you have the whole, like, digital aesthetic and the hackerish realm and all this stuff. And what that comes from is, like, information and the ons and offs and, like, the literal binary nature of reality, like, the dualistic nature of reality and how everything is one thing and it's reciprocal or it's infinite, you know, variations of reciprocals. So, you, I mean, it's like a circle. Everything is equidistant from one point, but mm. there's infinite points surrounding that mm. point. And each point is connected to the center. That one center, each infinite point is connected. With its own radius, which means there are infinite radii, which means there's infinite ways to get to the same thing. Um, and what all of that is supposed to get down to, more or less, is the fact that no, nothing matters. Like, of course, nothing matters, but everything exists. So it's how you choose to exist in that nothingness is kind of the point. Mm. I, I think I follow you actually. And cool, because I don't even know what the fuck I just said. Well, <laughs> well that's kind of it too, right? Is that isn't that maybe even part of it is that I think I actually did follow what you were saying, but at the same time what you were saying is kind of more than you can really comprehend consciously. I think that's also the kind of the point is right. that at a certain level, like if everything is all one thing, then we all as these infinite individuals would all then become the same thing. And if we become the same thing, then we lose our individuality and thus the thing that makes us the individual. And then you just all become what you would call like the universe or Mm. God or whatever it is that you choose to talk about. And and would you apply this as well? Like the idea that we're all kind of like every single person is in their own reality to a certain extent. Yeah, and then you have that whole thing where it's like, you know, is anybody else even real? Is it all just a projection (laughs) of your consciousness? Is it some like inception shit where like... I wasn't going that far. (laughs) But I do like that. (laughs) Yeah, it's a simulation, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah, yeah. there's a Twitter feed that I'm sure that that would have gone off the rails too. Anyway, but yeah, I don't know. I think that, no, I don't think anything really has much of a point. So, okay, so I, I feel like I'm... Quickly getting a sense of like where where you are in this whole music world. And like, <laughs> We're just out here. I don't know what's going but, on. But my question is, you know, to bring it back to you and to what you do, have you always thought like this? Like, what came first? Like the interest in the music and the you know the production that sort of thing, or the sort of philosophy behind it and the interest in you know. Those kinds of uh, concepts, or did it happen kind of simultaneously? No, music was late for sure to the game. It was kind of like 
I mean, forever used to be kind of not religious. I wouldn't say I was religious at a certain point, but definitely very thoughtful towards uh, specifically Christianity. That okay. was like a thing that I was like thought a lot about. Were you raised in Christianity? Yeah, so I went to Episcopalian schools, um, but also like you know, science was like a cool vibe. That's like where I kind of found myself mentally. So mm. trying to like reconcile that with like, all right, well, what is the fuck do those two things have in common? Turns out, like you know, if you think about it enough, philosophically speaking, they have a lot in common. Sure. So, what about the people around you? Like, uh, you know, your parents or your teachers? Was it uh, was it sort of open and they were yeah, cool everybody was really questioning. Yeah, everybody was really cool. I don't even know how like into religion my family even was at that point. I can kind of see everybody's points now. Obviously, like as a more mature person, you can kind of see like where their linchpins are and like what they're believing. Um, but back then, I I was fucking in my own head so much I didn't even really know what anybody else was talking about. Mm. So that being said, though, the philosophy definitely was the forefront of everything that I was doing. And then it expanded when I got older to other um, religions because you'd have these arguments with people, and you're talking about like science and like metaphors and how religion can like apply to that and how all these things. And they have a lot of people that don't believe what you're believing, and then you're but you're certain, and then all of a sudden you're not certain, and all these people have these really good points, and you're right. like, all right, well, how can you be so certain? And you start realizing everybody's really certain of a lot of things, and no one has any fucking idea. So, right. Um, I mean, I think it's that old thing. This is something I feel more and more the older I get. Is, is I sort of feel like, you know, when you're young, you th- kind of think you have the answer to everything. This is a bit of a cliche. And then by the time you get old and die, you realize you knew nothing the whole way. And that's along, crazy. You know? Yeah. Like the more you know, the less you know. Um, and I don't want to like get this into like a religious concept because honestly I could give a fuck about religion in general. I think that the philosophy that was birthed through the like religious analysis though, I think is valuable in the sense that um, that kind of shaped your mind a little bit. Yeah, and as, as far as your the way you think about things. Man, it was crazy. Like I went to um, college and studied a lot of government stuff. We're talking about living in DC. So you were in college in DC. In college in DC. And is that where you were born as well? Like yeah, did I was you born, grow up in there? Yeah, in Virginia, DC. Went to high school in, in Texas and then okay. now I'm in Los Angeles. It doesn't matter. Um but the the religious like so I studied a lot of conflict and securities. You have like Islam, Judaism, I was like a huge part of like the um I guess late Early, what is that called? 2008s through 2013s vibe, like yeah, that era of 2010s time. 2010s, yeah, there, like yeah. that whole con, like that. That was what everybody was focused on on the East Coast was, you know, the Middle East. Mm-hmm. And so I studied a lot of those religions, which are still monotheistic religions. And then you start studying like Eastern religions. Point is, is that all these philosophies are all saying like a very similar thing with very different words and verbiage and whatever. And so I guess that's kind of the more I delved into philosophy and then you start getting into like existential philosophy, which has nothing to do with religion and you start getting into like, um, I don't know, kind of all ends up at the same point. Everybody kind of ends up at nihilism for whatever reason. <laughs> yeah. Because we have these conversations all the time with people and I don't know if it's me guiding the conversation towards that level of philosophy or if that's naturally where people's brains kind of well, like uh, enter the ether. I mean, so as somebody who has a lot of conversations with a lot of musicians, I will say the fact that you're so open to talking about it right off the bat, that makes me much more comfortable. But had you not like shown an inclination that you <laughs> like to talk about it, been that, like, what's your favorite snack? Yeah, I, there's no way I would have gone into yeah. that conversation. When I feel like that's probably true for anybody, right? Like, 
like nobody nobody brings that up if they don't really know the person or yeah. unless the other person has already brought it up. Yeah. <laughs> it's like all right, like sensitive topics you have to have. So if music came late to the game, what were you doing as a kid? Like you know, it seems like you were a thoughtful kid. I assume did well in school, that sort of thing. Do you have any hobbies? Were were you actually musical at all? Well, my family was all musical. Like my dad's side of the family, all were like classically trained musicians. Okay, so like professional musicians. Um, like yeah, so you could say that they were professional. They like played in orchestras and stuff like that. Mm. Um, but they also had their own. They're also all doctors. Okay, sure. If that's um, yeah, they were like you know. Everybody in my family, actually, it's funny. I have a joke with my cousin because we're the only people that aren't are all engineers or doctors, like like literal rocket surgeons or lawyers, <laughs> rocket and, surgeons. Yeah, and we're <laughs> and we're out here. Um, exactly, that's my kind of my point. And yeah, we're all out yeah. here. Like uh, it's me and and him in LA. We live together, and like he's doing like. Acting, modeling, like a bunch of creative different outlets, uh. and I'm being a musician, and we both have covered in tattoos with like just stupid ideas <laughs> of what like life really means, and they're all like, "Yeah, no, we're all professional." Um, <laughs> yeah, but every every family needs one of those. Yeah. So, yeah, at the weddings, they just put us together. They're like, "All right, you guys fucking." Right. <laughs> um, but no, music was like very late. So all my I said all my friends were engineers in college, <clears throat> um, and what so were I, you going to school for? I was going to school for government stuff, like. Uh, I mean, literally wanted to be a spy. That was really, yeah, okay. Um, until I figured out what that actually meant, I was like, "This is not sexy at all. This is being a white person in a foreign country and right. just being a reporter." Yeah, more or less, using man. people. <laughs> I was like, "This sucks." So, I mean, what kind of, uh, well, what was even the program you were in called? Um, it was the Elliott School of International Studies. I swear to God, I should get paid for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, they're actually our new sponsor, so this oh, works out great. The Elliott School of International <laughs> Studies. Learn to not want to be a spy. Yeah. Be a musician. Um, <laughs> but they, it was it was like a whole, Elliott School, like that whole thing is like a big thing. It's George Washington was the name of this, is the right, university. Right, right, right. Um, so they're sort of well known for producing those kinds of candidates. Yeah, and, yeah, and everybody that comes out of there is like an ambassador like or the like. So was it know, a lot of political science classes? A lot of like international relations, political science, um, a lot of lot of writing essays and reading books and stuff, which for me was easy. So when my friends were all being engineers, I'd be at the library with them and they'd be studying for 15 hours a day and I would have nothing to do. <laughs> So that's when I started doing the music stuff and the coding stuff. So basically, I was on the computer in a library with nothing to do. You kind of just yeah. entertain yourself, and yeah, like at yeah, a certain yeah. point, you know, watching YouTube videos becomes super boring. So I started to like learn things, uh, like you know, unwillingly. Sure. And then at a certain point, uh, you want to actually, as you said earlier, create something yourself. Exactly, right? Yeah. So I mean, fuck, man. When somebody told me about. Um, like electronic music for me was like the way that you know regular people think of Fast and the Furious. They're like, those cars are sick, but they're not real. Um, <laughs> and then you find yourself at like hot import nights, and you're like, oh my god, drifting yeah. is a real concept. Oh, dude, <laughs> that's. Have you been drifting? Side note, yeah. Ever? Oh drifting? my god. Oh yeah. my god, dude. I've gone only a couple times, but I got super lucky. This is a complete off the rails tangent. But Here we go. Yeah, I, I played uh, this festival. They do they do it in Michigan. They do it in Atlanta. That's this like joint uh, music and car festival. Already and, down. This sounds oh, exciting. Dude, it was amazing, and uh, it's mainly focused on like uh, DIY, like custom cars and drifting and that sort of thing. 
and they bring in the top drifters, like the champions from around the country. And so I got to like do a ride along with the guy who's like a champion drift racer. I've done it twice now because I played the festival twice. And, <laughs> and you're oh just my. like, yeah, guys, actually next time, could you book me as a drifter? Oh, dude, um, it's so, it's such a rush. It's so fun. Yeah, uh, first car I ever had was a 350Z, which is like the reason I wanted that car so bad was because I saw Tokyo Drift and they have a 350Z in it and I just, Immediately wrecked it. Like I like kid you not. I was like within the first three weeks, I flipped it, going 110 plus Jesus miles an hour. Christ. Did you did you know what you were doing? The fuck, are you what? Who knows what they're doing <laughs> well, when I'm just they saying, have their like, first car? Maybe when you were 16, you like drove a lot of cars. I don't know. No, yeah. I watched a lot of movies yeah, though. Okay. That's a huge oh, that's, gap between yeah, knowing yeah. what you're doing. Huge. But I would watch like Top Gear all the time, and like I thought I was like, fuck yeah, heel toe downshifting. No idea what I was doing, but oh I can God. definitely flip a car. Oh my god! Anybody, anybody can. <laughs> but yeah, it's but, good you survived, man. I know, right? Um, it was crazy. Yeah, nothing like bad happened. I, I had like a minor concussion. I was coming back from a tennis tournament. Did I say that I played tennis? No. You asked for hobbies. No, that yeah. was in there. We didn't get there. I, I used to play tennis. Really? Yeah. That's I like mean, been a theme recently for like everyone I've met. Been like, yeah, I play tennis. I wasn't any like a, any kind of pro, but in high school, I or no middle school, I played for a couple of years. I took lessons for a couple yeah. of years. I wasn't great. But, oh, you that's know. like after. So here's my trajectory of of ideas what I thought I was as a human was professional tennis player Okay, and then I got to college and hated it and was like wow playing tennis in college sucks <laughs> I was like spy I'm gonna do that <laughs> and then within like a month was like this is Awful people Did, are was awful. That based human off of like uh, off of another movie, yeah, Why right. You- I know it's just like I'm just picking <laughs> movies I like. Um, n- well, have you seen? There was, I, I mean, uh, yeah, you could say that. There's a movie called Spy Game, which I really like. I know that movie, yeah. Yeah, Brad Pitt and Robert Redford. I yeah, thought yeah. it was really cool. Um, it's a good movie. Yeah, it's about like kind of the heydays of like you know Cold War spying, which is just as shady as it sounds, and. Um, so like yeah, so I can I guess you could say that could have been the inspiration, <laughs> but really when you get into it, you're kind of like all right, um, like people are awful, yeah. awful people, and the government is just like you know a hierarchy of like or a bureaucracy I guess of people being awful in different ways, and I was like all right, well government is a lot of manipulation of people, and you're kind of like all right, nobody's getting to do what they want to do, they're all like just trying to react to all yeah. this manipulation. So where does uh, where does the music actually come in? <laughs> God, I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 I, I'm asking because I'm just curious. You said, obviously, like your engineering friends were working all the time. Oh, you yeah. had time on your hands. But I'm curious, like, just in general, you know, did you did you like music? Were you yeah. passionate about music? Love, well, music, I guess, okay, so that, knowing all that other stuff kind of make, will make this, Excuse me, make this make a little bit more sense is that all of those things are very complicated. Like you have things like it's very competition based. It's a lot of like uh, you know competing egos. You have the government stuff. You have political like sphere. You have like literal competitive sports yeah. and all these things. Um, they're it's like battling and it's kind of exhausting. And music is like this consistent like. The whole point is like harmony. The whole point is to get, well, I guess not harmony, but the whole point is like easy, recognizable patterns, is like these enjoyable moments. And so it's like, I forgot who said this, but someone was like, music is the cheesecake of life. It's like, <laughs> it's just nice and like comfortable and like you can. So it's con- sort of a way, uh, and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like maybe it was a way for you to kind of like put 
things in order, whereas before maybe you felt like, you know. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't a control thing so much. Okay. It was like, it was just easy. You know what I mean? Music just was, and it was nice to do. You know, you're sitting Did on the computer. Did it come to you easily? Yeah, like you're sitting on the computer, you're by yourself, like, um, and it just, you just keep messing with stuff and it sounds fun. And like, Dead Mouse is a huge, Inspiration, obviously, like that's kind of where I found myself in professionally, but also before any of that, that was my first real touch into electronic music. Like Were you getting, going out to clubs or anything like that? Well, no. Um, at the time, oh man, this is a funny story. The so when I first learned about, uh, we'll say Dead Mouse was the first. Show, well, Armin van Buren at Fur Nightclub was the first. All oh, right, we talked to. about that yeah. before we were recording. Um, and if anybody's from DC and knows about Fur Nightclub, you'll know that why that was an enjoyable experience <laughs> will not make any sense. So I went with this girl uh, Sasha, who was my Pakistani friend, and um, she just I guess knew more about. I mean, I don't know. I was, all my friends were uh, foreign. They're all foreign exchange students. So like. Where I came from and what they knew were just a constantly. I was like, "Well, what is this thing that you do? You smoke hookah? I don't know what that is. Let's smoke that forever." <laughs> the second show I ever went to was Dead Mouse, um, which that that was that was it. Like that, after I saw Dead Mouse, I was like, "Okay, cool. Well, this is my life now." Yeah. Um, was that like his whole big production? The cube. Yeah. It was just when he started delving into dubstep. So he took off his helmet the last like ten minutes of his set and played like an encore of just like. What ended up turning into Raise Your Weapon, but at the time it was just like dubstep samples. And oh, it was fucking yeah. sick. Um, Sasha brought me to New York. Actually, fuck, man, this was such a gift. She came into my room one day and was like, hey, like, we'll come to Dead Mouse with me. And I'm like, no way, dude, those tickets are like $170. Got to go to New York, which is another like, you know, $40 on a bus and yeah. like find a hotel. Like, that's out of my league. And she's like, well, I thought you'd say that. So she got me a ticket. We already had a hotel. I covered like one of her friends. And I was just like, it was like perfect. So we end up showing up, and we're not even dating, dude. We're just friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a um, good friend. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So proceeded to have the best time in my entire life. Really? Until the end of the night when we're walking outside, I'm like exhausted, everything, like super, like just drenched in sweat from being in like the front of Dead Mouse the whole time. Which, I mean, that's kind of a tell all right there. It was like, it was actually that Dead Mouse himself. Um, and I, I don't really attribute it to anybody else, except maybe Nero sometimes, but was so good that. It was just some other kind of yeah. thing. It's like that minor, major modal changes, like something about the melodies that like coincide together, just un, unreal. So that's when I started like really kind of getting into the music production because I was like, "How do you do it? Yeah, I want to do it." Huh. That's yeah, that's so cool, man. I, I love when people have just that one moment where everything crystallizes because I don't think we get a lot of those moments in our lives. Yeah, my dad would call it a touchstone and something that like, you kind of go back on and you like remember, like specifically, there was a moment that you knew that's why you wanted to do it. And right. you forget that over time. You start doing stupid shit like staying in hotel rooms alone enough. You're like, DJing is awful music, stupid. I hate myself. <laughs> and then you go back to that moment. You're like, dude, well, I mean, like this. This is what you wanted. This is it. You have that moment right. to know why you did what you did. Right. So. Yeah. That deeper moment of connection, whatever it is. Yeah. It's rare, man. That's a great story. And you said that uh, the the coding kind of came along at the same time as the music, which I find interesting for two reasons. One, 
because to me, coding and and making electronic music have always seemed very linked to me anyway. Like it's sort of just two sides of the same coin in a lot of ways. And uh, secondly, this is just sort of funny, but while I was, uh, when I knew I was coming to talk to you, I was, you know, I do a little research. I like look up people. And for you, You've made it very hard for anyone to find out anything about you, <laughs> and I don't know. I, I wanted to know if that was intentional or not, because basically, I, you know, usually I look for like a bio or a wiki page oh, that's or whatever. Funny. I didn't know. And, I didn't know that. Well, and the only thing that comes up—not the only thing, but a lot of things that come up—are like mysterious producer. <laughs> I know hacks his way oh, into man. you know blah blah blah, and then just a weird cam porn site that you know I don't that's not me first of all it looks like it's not me though <laughs> yeah and, and which is funny and uh, so for me I was like oh, okay it's gonna be one of those guys <laughs> but that I guess is my real question is sort of uh, when you first you know came up with the IO project when you started making music under that name was it did you have a vision for sort of the aesthetic of it was it intended to be kind of a mysterious thing obviously the there's these hacker overtones the okay, i had a project before this project okay. and um without getting into what specifically it was the like i had this constant bad taste in my mouth about I was in los angeles constantly just always hating the people i met and the places i was in and if everyone felt fake, and um, but I was trying to do the same thing that all they were. I was mm-hmm. judging them for trying to do the same thing I was. Like it was just this weird kind of like it wasn't self-loathing, but but just like everything just felt shitty. Yeah, you were in the rat race, man. Yeah, it's I, I always reference the rat race because it's easy to sort of just get dropped into that stream, and it, when you're in it, you don't have the perception or the perspective. You right? don't. It's crazy to see what you're actually doing, and it surprised me um, because I'd write a lot of these articles and like like. I don't know. Just talk a lot about it. And this one girl one time what <laughs> said, "Do you write articles?" Um, they just for different. Like, I had a personal blog thing that I would write on. That um, I'd write a lot of things, and then some of them were published in different, like, um, electronic music centric oh, okay. sites or publications or whatever. Okay. It wasn't like that's what I was doing, but like obviously what I said resonated with some people. And it, for good reason, like it was pretty much what everybody was doing that I was around. So, mm-hmm. um, and everybody kind of in general in LA does anyway, is trying to stand out in a pool full of people splashing. You know what I mean? Right. So it's kind of like, you're, do I splash harder? Do I not splash? <laughs> like, what do I do? <laughs> do I drown myself? Yeah, <laughs> seriously though. And um, the thing that it took me a long time to get right down to kind of what I wanted to do with everything and like who I was and what it all meant to me. Um, because I was trying so hard, like looking in the reflections of what it meant to other people, trying to figure out what I was. And it wasn't until um, I was on tour in Australia and I was like ungodly depressed. And uh, as touring just kind of gets some people into the, that mindset. Yeah. And I hadn't slept in like, it felt like weeks, but probably just a few days. And I was drawing, I was like super into the gorillas, drawing all these images of what like I kind of felt was me in that gorilla's world. You know what I mean? Um, kind of like this dystopian, sarcastic, satirical point of view on the music industry, which yeah. um, they, I think, capitalized extremely well on. But like, I was like, what the fuck am I doing? And so that's when IO, the concept of IO, was born. And it was born through this, um, I had this whole storyline based on it. And I, I came back and I have a, a good friend um, who's like a, 
a famous DJ. His name's Jaws, Sam. Oh, yeah. And Great he's, guy. yeah, the nicest guy in the Love world. Him. And so I pitched this idea off him a bunch of times. And we were on our way from, I went and hung out with him in Vegas. He has a residency there then. And I went and hung out with him there. And then we we're driving all the way back to something. It was like a long trip. And so I was just pitching this whole fucking idea. I've been like, what do you think of all this stuff? He's like, this is really fucking cool. You should do it. Like, quit your other shit. Mm. Do this. And I was like, okay, well, quit my other thing. That's kind of the only thing I have going for me right now. Right. I don't want to stop. Um, until I was like knocking on so many doors so hard and so what I thought loudly and nothing nothing was opening for me that mm. I was like, fuck. I'd written a track with Tommy Trash and it got and dropped by Mousetrap. And I was trying so hard to get that track out on Mousetrap. Right. Um, and that was like kind of like the nail in the coffin. I was mm. like, all right, like fuck this, fuck music, fuck everything. I'm out. I left LA for a bit. Um, I was kind of like on the down and out. Like I was kind of done with with everything. Um and you know, that's kind of like the nihilistic philosophy kind of like really prevailed. It like really crept up and like capital, like that, that was my defining. Um, well, did it, did, did it give you comfort or did yeah. it make it worse? There's the other side of that coin, which is like kind of a freeing notion where it's like, yeah, like nothing matters, kill yourself or nothing matters, do anything else. You can mm. do anything at all. So it became kind of a way of me navigating that super dark depression into a way of being like, all right, well, if nothing, matters like well what do you want to do like what do you want to create like who are you you're still here so. uh, yeah I'm, I didn't stop thinking about other people stop thinking about like reflections of like what I looked like to other people and started really honing into like who I specifically was and it yeah it, it has a lot of that really dark energy in it which you can see in the aesthetic of the IO project but that um, like all that stuff that developed out of it was like, like super easy mm. like it came just like it showed up and it was like there that hacker aesthetic like it's binary, like it's the ons and offs. That's re- like literally reality for me, which is like that everything has its direct opposite and it's like correspondence and it's reciprocal and all that stuff. Like the coding, like the hacking stuff in general is like a, a manifestation of like kind of a dark energy, mm. but um, it's just like it's a game, is like anything else is. And you have this way of interacting, like there's no rights and wrongs. You have this like, ass- like assortment of. Ethics that you could follow, um, like white hat hacking and black hat hacking and gray hat hacking and whatever. Um, you could use it for good or for evil. Um, well, and you've been really smart with just the branding of it too. Uh, you know, I was seeing like uh, the the different ways you used it to like for promotion, even. You know, oh my like god! And it's the, the it's, mousetrap Twitter, or there was like what some venue that yeah, you, New Gas, New City Gas in Montreal, and that's so much fun because. Everybody's having fun at that point. It's well, like, well, so explain what that was for the listeners who may not know. Um, so the when we first the first EP I ever released was on Mousetrap as IO, um, which like what like that's where I wanted to end up. Which again, like kind of what we're talking about, how everything just sort of showing up and being the right thing. Right. That's where I wanted to end up in the first place, and it took me this huge learning curve to get back to where I started. Mm, um, yeah. But the first EP that we released on Mousetrap was. Um, like I was trying to figure out, like, all right, cool. Like, how do we uh, promote this idea? Like, what do we do? I had a friend um, at the time who was like very much like in my head at the time. Her name was Madison. She helped me with a bunch of these ideas, like just like simple, like how do I manifest that idea that I came up with? Mm. Um, and she came up with this idea of being like, well, why don't you like, like you have the whole cyber thing, like just hack their, you know, social media. <laughs> um, I was like, you mean like Instagram takeover? Like that's so lame. Like I don't want to do an Instagram takeover. <laughs> Like post pictures and videos, and like no one gives a shit about that stuff. She's like, no, 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 like, like take it over. 
Like take it from them. <laughs> and I was like, oh fuck, that's a great idea. So like that was when that idea manifested itself. This whole thing was that they were all sitting there. It's in the ether, and then they just need a little bit of an idea like to spark it into like the actual reality. And um, so we hacked the mousetrap social media, Instagram and Twitter, we didn't do Facebook. And they didn't know. No. And so it's like, but it was <laughs> it was like I told, well, I mean, okay, so they kind of know. Dead Mouse didn't know. The label manager knew what I was going to do. Okay. Because I had to, I mean, I don't want to get arrested. Well, right. That was my question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I pitched the idea to the label manager and like kind of showed him like the general content I was going to post. He's like, okay, um, like that's cool. You know, and he, at the time he was kind of like AWOL. Like I was nobody. You know, I knew him as a person, but it wasn't like, so he's kind of like, all right, like do this, but don't fuck anything up. Right, right. And, and like, you're like I, the new guy on the team. If anything gets weird, like I'm going to blame you and then take you off this. And I was yeah. like, that's cool. Don't worry about that. Um, but it was so much fun. Like we had so much fan interaction, uh, so much just like dynamics, like suddenly on the page. Like I was, came out of absolute nowhere. Uh, one release before this, and it was just like, here we are. Now we're doing some fun stuff. And this is something that for some reason no one had really thought to do yet, which was, just like do the goddamn thing, you know what I mean, just be the thing you are, don't like try to like navigate this politics and don't try to navigate like how to make people happy and stuff like that well sure, like, and you don't have to like you said earlier, instead of doing an Instagram takeover, like you don't have to do it through existing platforms necessarily, yeah, right? you can kind of just do whatever you want, and I was so afraid to do whatever I wanted, mm. like I was constantly like my whole time in l a afraid that I was going to piss somebody off and like if I'd said something to somebody, it was going to reflect wrong. And like, fuck, man, I've been pulled off tours for saying the wrong thing on Twitter. Like, and really? I yeah. And so I was afraid to do that stuff because I've been punished so many times for doing what I thought was the right thing to do. Um, and doing the, what I thought was the right thing was the thing that put me in contact with Dead Mouse in the first place. I remixed one of his tunes and said something like, you know, instead of calling you out on Twitter to get attention, I decided to remix your song. Mm. And he was like, this is cool. Like this is dope. Like let me send you stems. And we talked over Twitter. That's the only time I've ever talked to Mouse. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Everyone's like, oh, you're friends with Dead Mouse. I'm like, no, dude, I never spoke to the guy in my life. <laughs> oh, that's one time really we fascinating. Ta- yeah. One time we talked about low pass filters, and like that was it. Huh. That's all we ever talked about. I mean, I, that's a funny thing. Just like industry note that I don't think a lot of people who aren't working with record labels realize it's like you know, obviously Dead Mouse is not. At the office, running his record label every day. Diplo is not running mad decent with every second of his life. You know, it's like they hire people to run the label for them, and they're sort of the creative force behind it. But it, it can be a weird thing where you know people sort of associate, especially when the labels have those big figureheads. You know, be a Dead Mouse or a Skrillex or a Diplo. People, you know, sort of tie them together in their minds, even though the reality is that the label is run. You know, yeah, somewhat have, independently by a whole team of people, and it's funny because I was trying so hard to get on Mousetrap through Dead Mouse, like, and right. he was like, never, I never could get on Mousetrap until I met with the label and met all of them and became friends with all of them and started like not asking for anything. I just wanted to be around mm. them because I didn't know what the fuck. Again, I could have, I was maybe going to quit music. It wasn't like I wanted to release a Mousetrap sure. at that point. And, and so you, I assume you got to know them when you were doing the older project. That's um, like when you got introduced to them. I think it was them. like kind of in between. Okay. It was like, well, I, it was introduced to them when I was doing the older project right, because right. I wanted to be on Mousetrap. But right. then, and then you said they dropped the song with Tommy Trash. Yeah. Whatever, and it was yeah. like, it was like, we couldn't figure out why and if it was some political thing or if it was, you know, maybe Joel was like, yeah, actually, 
like, I don't want to do this. Or if even yeah. he even heard the record. My point is, I guess, that I have no idea if Joel's ever heard a record I've made. Right. Um, <laughs> right. That's actually a perfect way to say it. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to think about the idea of your your older project, and we don't have to go too deep into it, but if you were touring Australia, I mean, it seems like there probably was a certain level of success, at least a little bit of money going on. It was enough to make me keep doing it, but it mm. wasn't enough to sustain it, like to keep doing it. Actually, it's kind of a weird way of saying that. It, I don't know. It's like how, I mean, literally what just happened was the air conditioning cut off and I didn't even know it was on until it cut off. That was pretty much the level of success of this project. <laughs> it was humming along in its own, like it was there. Yeah. But I forgot it was even there. And the moment it turned off was the moment that I was like, oh my God, that was on? Mm. Like we were doing something at all? Mm. It was like this ambient project. Not The music wasn't ambient, but it just wasn't ever going to be enough to catch someone's attention. And it sure. was never, it ne- I, I didn't know that it, yeah. could get any quieter well, until it got quieter. Yeah, that's true, man. It's interesting because I think for a lot of people, and I've been as guilty as this as anybody else, You know, if you have a project where you see any kind of success at all, I mean, you got to go to Australia, say, like that's, uh, I, I think a lot of people would get so tied to like, no, I have to make this work. Like you see that little spark of what it maybe could be. Oh my God. And it, and that to, leads people to messing stuff. I'm sorry to interrupt. No, that, no, no, please. I mean, all I was going to say is like, it, maybe it's better that you didn't have to sort of take the leap off the cliff, uh, that it was sort of decided for you if, if you ended up having trouble with it. You know yeah. what I mean? Well, I mean, you see a lot of producers especially, and they're so afraid to lose the success that they have on their current project, not knowing that it could be better. And you see that with, I mean... Like not to get off the rails, but you see that with relationships, you see that with tons of things where people get really invested in something because they've invested in it. Yeah. It's like like you don't realize how unhealthy this thing is for you and how much better it could be if you let go of it because you were just afraid that letting go is into this endless void, which it is, but the endless void is full of these endless potentials that you will never realize if you hold on to this one thing so Absolutely. tightly. Absolutely. And you have people that like I, what my least favorite thing is when people start to kind of bastardize their own brand. Um, you'll have people that like are known for a certain thing, and they kill that one thing, and then they're like, "Oh wait, this is popular," and like they start doing that, yeah. and you're like, "Why are you doing that? You ruined your whole project. Right. Like that whole authenticity thing is gone now. People want something that they can hold on, like that they can identify. And mm. so when you have a brand, that's an identifier. If Levi's started making washing machines, I'd be confused as fuck. <laughs> so like, good thing they still just make denim stuff. Right. Um, that was a huge thing when my friend was like, just drop the other project, do the new thing. That was that learning curve for me where I realized like, oh dude, like the thing that you have just because it's in your hand does not mean it's the best thing that can happen to you. So why don't you see what else you can do and like right. trust yourself. Like maybe it'll be fucking worse, but like you're going to have to go out there and you're yeah. going to have to do it. And if yeah, you don't do yeah. it, then you're just going to be sitting there with the air conditioning on, like wondering why it's not quiet. You know what I mean? <laughs> I love that metaphor, man. It's, yeah, I don't know. And, and so for you, I mean, you know, going forward into the IO project, you remix Dead Mouse, you get in touch with Mousetrap, all of that. I mean, I was looking at your discography, you've been super prolific. Since then, were you able to kind of quickly, like it sounded like you had already sort of conceptualized what you wanted it, the vibe to be. How did it proceed as far as, you know, getting a team behind you? You know, all the sort of standard benchmarks of like, how were you able to release all this music with a unified aesthetic pretty quickly? Like it seemed like you kind of got to a certain level fairly quickly once you were, you know, well, started the new project. As much as I hate 
talking about the old project, that was the reason that I was so clear about the new project. You knew not uh, what mistakes not to make. Well, that, and also I'd risen to the level of like we're talking about, like just almost negligible, but still success. Where I was in contact, and I knew the people that I wanted to be in contact with. Mm. I knew how many people I fucking hated, and I knew how many people not to trust. And that was like just as obvious to me as the people that I do who to trust. And yeah. like obviously, the people that you trust are much fewer. And so I started <laughs> talking about management. It was so funny because I was so over everybody that I was talking. Like this fucking guy just hits me up on Facebook, like, "Hey, I saw your release on in uh, the old project on Spinning. Like, I want to manage you." And it was like some random guy, and it was like I don't, I didn't fucking even pay attention to it. But the same fucking time I got that Facebook message, I got a text on my phone from a Lebanese phone number, and I was like, "What the fuck?" The exact same message, and I had a phone call from a missed call from that same number, and I was like, "This is fucking weird." <laughs> like, I don't like how this person has my phone number. Right. And so I was about to just well, I replied and was like, "Yeah, I'm not looking for management. As I'm done with fucking music, go fuck yourself." Yeah. And he was like, "Well, let's have a phone call." And I was like, "All right." So I talked to him on the phone. And the first thing he says on the phone is, "You should rebrand." And I'm like, "Go fuck yourself!" Like, who are you? <laughs> like, I don't want management. I know what I'm doing. I know what's going on. Like, you're a fucking random ass dude from Lebanon. You're just telling me what to do. And uh, he's my manager now. <laughs> but <laughs> I kind of thought that's the plot that twist going. is. A, but at the end of the conversation, I was like, "Cool. Like, thanks for the phone call. Like, I know what I'm doing. Like, I'm not looking for management. Go fuck yourself." And then um, that developed into this creative dialogue where I was like, all right, like I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think? And then the conversation kind of almost immediately spurred into like, I am starting completely over. Are you into this? Mm-hmm. And he's like, like, let's fucking do it. And I was like, oh, I've never had someone so excited. Like, let's do it right now. <laughs> right. So, um, and his name's Roger. He's the best manager I could have asked for. And it came at a time that could not have been a better time to have him come. It, again, like I'm saying, like all these things just showed up. Yeah, like he was one of those. How things did that he find up. you? Did you say that already? A spinning record. A spinning record. Okay, that wasn't that good, <laughs> but it was different. It was dark and like, like it was as close to techno as like trance could get, yeah. kind of thing. And it was like, and he was in the trance world, so he heard it. Mm. But it was so different that he liked it. Right. And it was like one of those things where we had this. It was like, how do we? Like that space right there. Where is that space? And yeah. I was like, I'm, I don't know, but like that's where I'm at mentally. Like, well, do you want to try? I feel it? like I, I'm a fan of your music, and I do feel like it occupies sort of the, a, a bit of a crossover space or an in between space. Like that's definitely what caught my ear about it because I, you know, I come from like a like a party DJ background, like club background, and for me, the records that you make could work as well. In you know those kinds of sets, like a party, just like a club set, as you know, sort of like a like a snooty refined techno set. <laughs> yeah. As you know, like it, it uh, kind of could work anywhere. Which I I don't know if that's intentional, but well, I mean, again, like I think everything ends where it begins, sort of thing. Um, talk about circle metaphors over and over again, but the. Uh, like dance music was that. That was dan- like yeah. dance for music for me when I first got into it. When it first became a thing for me, which I guess you could say was late to dance music, but whatever. Like two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Like like Deadmau5. You'd play a Deadmau5 record now in like a set. You're like, what the fuck? Like, is this eight minutes? Right, right. Like, how long is this going to take to get to the point? <laughs> um, but everybody was playing Deadmau5 then. Which meant that you had Afrojack playing a Dead Mouse record, you had Swedish House Mafia playing Dead Mouse records, you had like 
fucking some random guy DJ like Dizzy Chad in the club playing yeah. techno, playing Dead Mouse records. And so like he occupied a space that was unique, mm. that was unique enough that everybody kind of was like, all right, cool. I don't know where to put this, but it works. It works everywhere. Do you know where to put yourself now? Um because I feel like you get categorized as techno, right? Yeah, all the fucking time. I and mean, that's kind of my fault. Like I love just the irony of saying techno because the more <laughs> that you like make techno popular, the more people hate you, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> it's like techno people want so badly to okay, this is a funny conversation. I'm talking to this guy and he wants to get into dance music and I don't, he's used to be in a band, like a very famous like punk band and He's a drummer and he's telling me about this. And I don't know what the fuck he's talking to me. And I don't want to talk to anybody. And he were at the club and he's yelling in my ear about his own DJ project. I'm like, God fucking damn it. Los Angeles can fuck itself. Um, but he's telling me all about it. He's like, man, I like, but like, like, fuck this shit. And we're at a, or I think we're at a um a Cedric Gervais show. Okay. And I was there with friends, and I think Cedric's a nice guy. And so we're just hanging out like backstage. I've had him on this show. And this guy's talking shit about Cedric Gervais to me. And I'm like, why are you here then? Like, what are you doing? Like, this is all of our friend, and you're being a dick. And he was like, yeah, like, I just want to go like like some underground shit. Like, you know, like, I, my dream is to like play like, you know, some underground shit in Brazil with like 2,000 people. And I'm like, all right, bro, hold on. You said underground, and then you said 2,000 people. Right. You don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. You think for some reason like everything is Adam Bear and like you just don't. Techno's not underground anywhere else in the world. The reason we say underground is because it's like underground just means that it's not commercial, but it is now. Everything is. Everything's on the internet. Anybody can hear anything. Like, right. You'll have awakenings sell out, which is you know multiple thousands of people, which is the same size as something like tomorrow. Well, not Tomorrowland. It's bigger, but like. Yeah, I mean, to me, underground just denotes that has like a cultural meaning, you know? Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That's all it really is to so, me. Exactly, and that it's, I think it's not about the size. And Carl Cox said it really well. He's like, it's not about underground versus overground. Like, there's some people that are there for the music, and there's some people that are there for the hype. Like, it, the, obviously, sure. I'm paraphrasing here. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. No, I talk about the idea of like dance music tourists a lot on this show. Yeah. Because I think you know, if like if you came in around 2008, that's when a lot of people were coming in, right? Yeah. And there was this big explosion. It turned into what we now call EDM, all of that sort of thing, and a ton of people came in. But now I think we're starting to see the people who have stuck around are the ones who are really there for the music, right? Yeah. And it's interesting because when I'm sitting here saying like. You know the word techno six hundred times over social media, and everyone's calling me a techno lord and the dark, you know, whatever the fuck. Um, it's almost ironic, which again is like my favorite thing in the world is irony. Um, but like, it's also like a really good thing because you have <laughs> I look around. It's the funniest shit, man. Like, like dubstep kids. Like they're, <laughs> I'll see these things that post like, all I want to do is listen to techno. I want to fucking die to techno. You know, I'm reading all these tweets or whatever, and I click on their profiles, and it's like hashtag headbanger for life. And I'm like, I don't. Right. I'm not even gonna try to figure this one out. <laughs> like, I don't. Like, you're just here. You're just having a good time. Oh, In yeah. the moment that obviously there's gonna be some kid with like you know one of those big hats and like a cloak and a beard that's gonna tell me like you know you're not fucking techno. And I'm like, bro, like I don't fucking care. Right. Like we're out here having a good time, and if you want to be a part of this, like be a part of it. If you don't, like there are other shows for you. I mean, are you? Do you even think about where the music you make fits in, or uh, have you sort of been able to do away with that? Well, I mean, what I want to do is like over time is like we started out with kind of like almost like bangers. Like lasers was like kind of like a big room trance banger almost. Yeah. And, but you had like you know dark undertones and shit. 
And a warning, the first track I put out was like very clearly electro. And you know, if you wanted to get genre specific about stuff, like I didn't really start putting out the true techno records until the past like three or four releases. Mm. But that's where my heart lies. I want to make fucking techno. I want to play the warehouses. I want to sit. You know, I don't care if there's ten people there or a thousand people. Right. There, but the point is, like, I want to be sweaty, weird, like yeah. 2008 dance shows. Right. You know, the things that I used to go to and. And those things now are. Do the those still show. exist? I mean, that, yeah. I think oh, that's a valid question. Like, well, I guess I don't know. I mean, obviously, like you could find something that looks similar, but you know, I always wonder about like, can we recreate? Because I think that's all any of us are trying to do is recreate those first, you know, moments of excitement. Well, yeah, but I mean, the, the issue I think, yes, you can. And I've been to them, and they're fucking crazy. And a lot of times, they're not going to be the things that you expect them to be. Um, I went to a I Hate Models show in LA that was popping, which mm. was strange. Um, and he was playing fuck knows, like hard style techno, whatever the shit. It was something else. It was crazy. Best time ever. Yeah. And it was in like some warehouse. I don't know if it was legal or illegal. I don't know what it was, but it had that feeling. And it had that feeling because everybody there wasn't there to be there. They were all there to see I Hate Models. And they were there because it was six in the morning and it was like, it was like the vibe, and that was like the vibe. So yeah, it, it definitely exists. The thing that gets lost when people try to recreate it is they're trying to recreate it and capitalize off it. Right. Like I think if that show was that's actually that's the difference between underground and not right. Yeah, is yeah, the money definitely? And I think that people are like trying to recreate this thing. Like I mean, I say like I'm really good friends with Jaws, and he will recreate these old rave records and like. We're sitting there in the studio and fucking vibing and like loving it. And this is fucking hilarious. Like, dude, you're gonna play Alice DJ. Like, that's amazing. Um, and then you're gonna play Alice DJ to, you know, these kids who don't know who Alice DJ is. And the, right. the, the, the sentiment is kind of lost. And like, it's fun for the people who participated in it, but it becomes kind of like, it's like, ah, like, like I, when you see like Dubstep Kids play the Backstreet Boys, the show, you're like, all right, like, fuck, man, like, kind of see what you're doing. Like nostalgia, but you're ruining it because nostalgia is not what we're trying to recapture. Mm. We're trying to recapture the actual feeling. And once you put it in a retrospect, is when you lose it. Mm. Immediately it becomes like, ah, Flux Pavilion used to be cool, you know? And it's like, no, no, no. Flux Pavilion is cool. Right. Um, <laughs> is what that feeling was. Yeah. That yeah, feeling yeah. was, holy shit, base cannon. Not, ah, you remember base cannon? And that's the difference between making something um, like, Recapturing that feeling versus creating the feeling. Yeah, that's true, man. I mean, is that something you think about when you're writing music? I try not to think about it because I feel like if you think about it, you're gonna fuck it up. Mm. Um, what is your writing process like? Uh, fucking insanity. <laughs> um, I mean, is it just because my mind can be super chaotic? I know some producers will have, you know, a set thing like I do the drums first, yeah, then no. I do whatever. I don't. Like man, I don't know. <laughs> Honestly, a lot of the times I just want to get it as fucked up as possible. Um, not, I don't want to get as fucked up yeah. as possible. I want to get the record as fucked up as possible. So I'll start out with a kick and I'll distort the shit out of it and I'll turn it up too loud and I'll make it all the wrong decisions until it starts turning into something with texture and like feeling and like emotion in it, and then take it back from there. Because like, yeah, we love sleigh bells, but like, I don't think sleigh bells is going to sell out any arenas. So like, take it back <laughs> from there and like. You know, take the distortion down, like start working it back into a manageable dance record that mm. you're like, damn, this pops. It still has that emotion where you were like, you were really trying to get that feeling in there. Um, like the warehouse records, I talk about warehouses all the fucking time, but like the reason warehouses are dope is because they're not sound treated and the PA system fucking sucks. Yep. 
and you're like, damn, like you're not gonna play some really good clean shit in here. Like anything that's con- trance is gonna sound terrible <laughs> unless it's trance in 2006 when everything was shit. And like that's where I mean, you get that feeling, that emotion by making it sound bad. Sure. I mean, not even bad. It's just adding reverb and adding distortion. Yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. a warehouse is. Yeah, you're referencing it. Turning space. up it too much, turning it up way too much. And then you're creating that spatial reverb where it's like, man, there's so many people in here. It's sweaty and it's weird. Mm. And you get that emotion in that record. And then, and then you bring it back to being like, all right, cool. We got to play this in a quick. So, how do, yeah, that's my next question is how do you translate that kind of energy and vibe other than sonically to say, you know, what if you're playing a big stage at a festival? Uh, you know, how do you deal? Do you change what you do in those kinds of settings? Um, yeah, I definitely play different sets of different crowds. Like, yeah. I feel like everybody kind of does. Oh, that. for sure. But I also make my music to the crowd that I want to play to. Mm. I always think about like things like Van Halen and Journey and That's stuff. That's a key. I like that. And they're like, studio, like stadium rock, or it's like they always call it like Coldplay. And the reason it sounds like that is because you listen to those records and it sounds like it's in a stadium. Like, like U2 has that. Like quintessential delay on the guitar that right. immediately sounds like it's in the middle of the Super Bowl, and so they get booked for the Super Bowl. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, everyone's like, when they think about it, they're like, oh, that's an easy guess. You know, like we'll book them. They sound like stadium rock. You know. Yep. And so when it comes to what I'm trying to do is, I'm trying to make warehouse techno. So I just put myself or put the sound in the place that I'm going to play it in, and then obviously I'll play things like New City Gas, which is you know more or less a, a main room. It's something that's like a bigger. Sure, yeah. I, I don't know. You could say All somebody kinds like of big names play there, yeah, yeah, from different genres. But you would say somebody like that makes the music that I make would play across the street at whatever the fuck that place is called, um, Stereo, yeah, or whatever. Like you know, play the three a.m. slot at Stereo, but I played the you know twelve a.m. slot at New City Gas. So how does that translate? Well, I mean. It's a big room. So now we're going to play the big room techno records. We're yeah. going to play main room techno. It's going to be reverby. It's going to be way more banger oriented. It's not going to be like shuffle hats and like groove. Right. Um, but the nice thing about techno is that you kind of can go anywhere. Like, you ever heard of people like T78? You're like, holy shit, like that sounds like somebody <laughs> dropped a bomb. And you yeah. can play those, that record in a big room. Yeah. It's interesting. Techno, techno is very interesting to me because it is. You know, there's like a pretentious air to some of the fans and some of the even some of the people who make it oh, for sure. Oh god! But, but then it, it it is in a way sort of also the most free of all the the subgenres to yeah. me. I wonder how long that'll last too, because I think as we're doing this project, like I'm seeing a lot more people get into techno, and you see techno become more of a buzzword, and you see techno become, for lack of a bad better word, more mainstream. I wonder how free it will be if it become like dubstep, where at some point someone's going to say techno's dead. And I, you're like, all it's right, all cool. a cycle, man. I mean, we, you were talking about these ideas of circles before. Yeah. And like to me, the States is more or less a few years behind what's happening in Europe and the UK. And they had, and still have right now, you know, this giant techno boom. And so, of course, that's going to hit here. And then it's going to die down, and something else is going to come along. But I don't think it's ever going to die. I mean, well, I wonder. You talk, bring up Europe, and I kind of after studying like international affairs a lot, and this is like I don't know if this is going to really translate over radio, but the concept of like an age of a country has persistent like like metaphors to the age of like an individual's maturity. Like you'll see, like the U.S. It has this new like almost like teenage Gunter to be just like, I want to be popular and cool as shit. Yep. And Europe doesn't have quite that hype 
like fetish that the US does and they're kind of like more mature and tame about it. And they're like, yeah, like this is cool and we've been doing this for fucking ever and this is what we do. And so these things have kind of a more longevity in those areas. The US typically takes the things that their older brother in in Europe does and like tries to be like, we're cool now too, right? (laughs) And they fuck it up and they sell it too much and all the kids get over it in in faster ways. And then you have young young countries, things like third world countries, people like India, China, um, a lot of places in South America that catch the vibe of the US. And as the younger, younger sibling, they're wanting to be like the US and get over things even quicker. Mm -hmm. Um, Or maybe just don't even get to the things that the oldest brother got to in the first place. So traveling places like China um, in Thailand and in and we went to Amsterdam too. Like we've been around a few places. Very, very interesting to see the difference in crowds. Like I've never seen a crowd go off like in Thailand and China. Really? They were the most excited they've I've ever seen any crowd that I've ever played to mm-hmm. in my life. In the US, people get into it. They're definitely down. Um, like in the same way that he would expect them to get down to every show that they go to in Europe, everyone was pretty chill. Yeah, they're like, yeah, too cool. cool for this school. is this is pretty sick, man. Hey, and like after the sets is like that's kind of like I can't fucking gauge it on stage right. if they like it or not. After the sets, people come up, take pictures, and like you know have nice things to say. It's kind of like, okay, I did a good job everywhere. Mm. I represented myself everywhere. Everybody who came for me got what they expected. Yeah. It's just the level of, um, I guess like familiarity, maybe that yeah. each each. Culture and country have right, and and they all engage with you. You know, I think it's sort of silly to expect each different culture to engage with you on the same level. You yeah. know, yeah. because we're going into their culture. It's not like they're coming into ours. Well, yeah, I know? mean, it was interesting. It was, I forgot as Gabriel and Dresden, I think, tweeted at me like, "Yo, man, that's really interesting to see. I've never seen a crowd in China have so much energy over music that wasn't just mainstream EDM, right? Like, like big room." And that surprised me because I I knew nothing about China before going there. Um, but that's all I heard. Everyone's like, "Yeah, they only like EDM here. They don't like techno at all." So I'm like, mm-hmm. "All right, well, this show's gonna suck, whatever." Um, but after that show, realizing like it kind of just like hit back to the point where, um, I, we didn't talk about this, but it is in true and everything is like that authenticity of a project will translate to a lot of people. And when you have the authenticity, or, like the real, genuine. Like we did kind of talk about it where it's yeah. like who like that's like that's me, man. I'm up there. Like that's fucking what I'm right. doing. And like I don't know if you're gonna like it or not. Like go fuck yourself. And you didn't, I think the key is that you didn't change what you were doing when you went over there, even though you had heard, oh, maybe you'll do better yeah. if you do this instead. Yeah. And like I'll take the fucking lumps, man. Like I, and if nobody comes, that's fine. The <laughs> I just remember being in Bangkok and thinking nobody's gonna fucking come to this show because I don't even know like anything about this country at all, much less how are they going to know anything about me? I'm sitting there just ripping cigarettes before my set, being like, oh, this is going to suck, this is going to suck, this is going to suck. <laughs> and then it was like one of the most fun things that I've had in my life. And, um, but that again, it's just like, you just like, you gotta be like that whole fucking, I mean, it's kind of talk about circles again, that whole circle, that giant fucking path that you thought was fucking stupid. Cause you're like, why did I have to do all that shit just to get back to where I started was like, well, I mean, now I know what, what I'm doing. Like now I know who I am, what I'm doing, why I'm doing it, and like that's what it's gonna be. And that's kind of all there is to it. Yeah, that's beautiful, man. I love that. I mean, how are you with it? It, it sounds like you've had your issues with, uh, you know, with the same shit we all go through at a certain point, hating the travel and you know comparing yourself to others and getting angry about other people's success. And I'm not putting that all on you. It's I've done the exact same thing, and a million other people have. 
where are you with it now? Have you kind of managed to find like the the happy medium where you can go on tour, you can you know see what other people are doing and just be be cool with all of it? Yeah, it's funny, man, because like <laughs> um again back to Twitter, started where we ended, ended where we started. <laughs> um, I saw Wooly t- tweet something like. 2020, all DJs are going to be using AirPods to DJ. And I thought that was funny. So I commented, like, 2020, all techno DJs are going to be using paper cups with strings attached to them. <laughs> um, <laughs> because, like, the ongoing joke with me and Sam, with Jaws is uh, he smokes a vape and I smoke cigarettes. And, right. and I smoke the analog jewel, essentially, because <laughs> I'm techno. Right. Um, but I said that on Twitter, and then I was like, oh, fuck. Like, this is a techno DJ tweeting at a dubstep DJ. That's gonna rip open a wormhole, like yeah. in the EDM Twitter yeah, sphere. What does this look like? Oh fuck, you know what I mean. But then I was like, fuck, man. Like Willie's a funny dude. Like we play Overwatch together. He's funny. I like him. And like I guess I couldn't give a fuck what people think at this point. Like they didn't like me then. Like if they don't like me now, like it's not really much of a loss, is mm. it? So um, I think I think it just kind of the more you are able to and fuck going back to the feed me conversation with Kill the Noise and. Uh, what Feed Me said was like, uh, fuck man, it was beautifully said. It was like, uh, interaction is the wake behind the boat. Like you can pay attention to it, but that's not a very good way to sail. Yeah. I was like, holy shit, like frame that. Yeah. That's the Love best it. thing I've ever seen. So Love it's, it. at a certain point, you, like you need to be, you know, what you're going to be and you need to stop thinking about what other people are going to do and about it and stuff yeah. like that. And I think people like Rez really fucking do that well. Like somehow very well. just like... Very well, very authentic. And you God, can, man, that's yeah, fucking beautiful. Very direct. How do you deal with social media? Like for you, is it is it a tool? Is it a means of expression? Is it something that helps you, something you wish you didn't have to deal with? Where does it fall for you? Well, I think it's something that I wish I didn't have to deal with and it's definitely something that I stay off as much as possible. Mm. Um but that being said, a big reason why I think that we're popular in so many, I say we just as a whole team, um, is because we interact a lot with people. And like, and it's not interaction where it's like, can't wait to see you at the show, but it's like, yo, fucking kill yourself. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just authentic interaction where it's fun for everybody to really be, be a part of a conversation. So I think that social media is stupid and I hate it and I think everyone should get off of it and like go live your lives. But also, I think that about everything. So, <laughs> so like, and we've come back to where we started. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I mean, you know, like, I, I don't, I got to be careful on social media because a lot of things can get taken out of context. Like the things that you say may not make sense to certain people, or maybe read the wrong way. Just the way a text message to an ex girlfriend can sound. Yeah. Um, but that's also not on me, and that's on them, and that's going to be their thing to deal with. And like, I'm just going to kind of hopefully. Tread as carefully as possible without changing my stride. You know what I mean? That makes sense, man. I think that's a pretty healthy attitude. Is there anything else we should? What do you have coming up? What should people be looking out oh, for? Plug some shit. Yeah, let's do um, some plugs. Fuck. Oh, record with Tommy Trash. Oh my god, ending where we're starting. Wait, you did another one? Yeah, almost exactly a year later. This Whoa. time on Mousetrap. Yeah, oh, we holy did shit, it, man. Um, so that one's called "Let Me Go," and that's with Daisy Guthridge, and she's a the vocalist. She crushed it. And then we have um, an EP that I scheduled for. We're spacing out the releases way more this year. Mm. Last year was like every single chance I could get, I would get Mousetrap on the phone and be like, "Guys, I have six records to put them out." They're like, "We'll put out two. and I'm like, "That's fine." Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we're gonna only pretty much release uh, two track EPs or singles and then remixes. We have like several very, very, very special remixes that I'm very excited about that I can't talk about. I saw you posted up the thing with Skrillex. Oh yeah, no, that's not that okay. So 
to should I quell that or should I let that one keep going? I'm gonna let that keep going. That's fine. Um, yeah, dude. Uh, Skrillex and I hung out in the studio one time. Guess what happened? <laughs> um, you can't believe what happens yeah, next. <laughs> the top three will blow your mind. <laughs> um, so yeah, so the a lot. I mean, but again, like kind of going back to what we're talking about is that most they're gonna be way way more. Um, what people would consider techno, like yeah. techno people to consider techno, and that's where I want to get at um, mm. a lot more of that, like reverb kick shit. Um, oh, but yeah. and less of like the my manager's like uh, noise he calls it noise. Every time I put like an electro sound or anything like synthetic in the record, he's always like, "Take the fucking noise out." I'm like, <laughs> he just wants the kick drum. He just wants the. He loves Tale of Us, so like, obviously, he just wants a kick drum, and he wants a kick drum every like eight minutes. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> but the yeah, so we have fuck. I don't even know what I was talking about. Plug. Um, Tommy Trash, Daisy Etheridge, Let Me Go, Mousetrap, um, and then we have the rest of this tour. So there's we're going to fucking I don't even know Austin, Texas. We go to. Washington DC back to DC. Oh, I love playing in DC. That one like I obviously love playing every city. Everyone's great. I love all my children equally. Yeah. Um but where do you play there? Like U-Haul or Soundcheck? I wish I played U-Haul. It's my favorite venue in the world. U-Haul's amazing. Oh my god. No, I play with Glow. So Glow puts me in Soundcheck. Right, or, yeah. We do might do Echo Stage later in the year, but um we're just not that yeah. big yet. <laughs> we're not going to do that yet. Um, but Soundcheck's so much fun, and the team is so fucking nice. That glow. Yeah, they're great. They're all great. They're all so nice to me. So I love being there. And then I um, think you'll get the Echo stage, though, man. I mean, it seems like the hype is there. It seems like the energy is there. We, yeah, I mean, we talked about doing it this time, but yeah. like as a support. Right. And with my sets, like just not a support act. And mm. it's not something that we didn't try to do. And it's not like an ego thing. The actual story was that I played a show at Marquee in Vegas and opened for Prids. And it was like a, one of the first shows for IO. And I was finding my sound live, you know? And I was like, all right, cool. What what does IO sound like live? I know yeah. what my records sound like. And so I was playing like Bang Out, like Amelie Lens, like 132 Techno, because that's like who I fucking was. And it's a pool party in a marquee. It's a bad place for that. Right. <laughs> um, but my name's on the flyer. I'm going to represent my fucking self. Yeah. And so, same thing you've already been doing, been yeah. talking about. <laughs> so I got removed. So I don't, so again, so we're not going to open any shows. I'm playing a show with Drezo in LA, um, but I know Andre, so it's not going to sure. be an issue. Hell um, yeah, man. Other than that, though, we're just seeing where, what rooms we can fill and where we're going and everywhere we can fill a room, we'll play. Uh, this has been great, dude. Uh, I really enjoyed this. Um, yeah, it's fun, man. Yeah, super fun. I didn't know what to expect. It's like it, I just said yes to this one because I really like your music. But oh, I thanks. had, yeah, absolutely, man. It's always fun to do one with where I have no connection to the person. Yeah, because then I'm just like, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Yeah, and it's fun to have a conversation with like an intelligent human being sometimes. So like, th- oh, thank thanks. you for asking that. intelligent questions and being fucking fun about it and tolerating my absolute fucking insanity. Ah, no, this has been a treat. Uh, I'm going to end by, I ask the same question at the end of each interview. It was Drake. <laughs> that Confucius. Actually, Confucius? No, Drake. I'm going with Drake. Drake actually could be the answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, real simple question and not something you have to think about super hard. Just the first thing that pops into your mind. Um, a time in your life, and it could be recently or it could be when you were a kid, when in a moment, music really deeply affected you. And that could be like change the way you thought about something. It could be tied to an important moment. And it doesn't really have to be significant. Kind of just looking for the first thing that pops into your mind. The first thing that popped in was I played a, as a fr- <laughs> going back to DC, I played a, um, 
like a fucking rave. Like when you think of rave, like it was like, and it was the first time I'd ever been to a rave. Oh, okay. And so I didn't even know what to expect. I never DJed before. So and you I, were playing it the first time you went. So I met to this one. guy on the street. Well, I met this girl on the street who's handing out flyers. And this was like when I just started making dubstep. And um, she handed me a flyer, and I was like, all this fucking DJ guys on it. I don't know what the fuck this is. I'm like, what is this? And she's like, it's a it's a rave we're having on um, Halloween. And I was like, oh, cool. I make dance music. She's like, oh, what do you make? I was like, I think dubstep. And she's like, cool. Um, you should talk to our owner across the street. So I went and talked to their owner across the street. This guy named Chad. And he, we talked like for a little bit about dubstep, and I just kind of discovered drum and bass. I was mm. like talking about that a lot more because it's way more interesting to me. And then he was like, cool. Well, like send me a, a mix or something, and like maybe we can have you on one of these shows. I'm like, cool. And so uh, I did. I was on my way to Spanish class. And I, <laughs> nice. I was, I was late. <laughs> and uh, guess what comes first? Dubstep. Dubstep over Spanish. L dubstep. Um, it's the secret to life. Yeah. So I, I went to class and then I went home and made a mix. And like it, I, if I listen to it now, it probably sucked. But it started out with Raise Your Weapon by Dead Mouse, which again, and where you begin. Um, and what was I saying? Oh, so anyway, so he booked me for this show. And I, I'm playing at 9 p.m. In a bass stage, and stage is a gross overestimation of what yeah. this was. <laughs> We're in a warehouse. The uh, fuck, man, I wish I could, it's called the Four Eleven Loft or something in DC. It's okay. shut down now because someone got stabbed in front of it, Oof. which should tell you more about what this wave was like. Oof. And so I show up, and I'm trying to like figure out how to DJ on Ableton. I show up at seven oh, p.m. <laughs> so that I can figure out what this is. And then, and he was like, "Hey, actually, we moved you to uh, three a.m." I was like, "Whoa, okay." He's like, yeah, we had somebody that's playing at three, but he has to get home for a midterm, so he's playing at nine now. You're playing at three. I'm like, cool. So I'm gonna be here for five more hours. <laughs> oh boy, six more hours. Yeah, seven more hours. Eight actually. I mean, yeah, if you showed up at seven, eight, yeah, eight until th- four a.m. I'm gonna be here for eight more hours, and I so I watched a lot happen, and it was sweaty, and it was fun, and it was weird. So I'm like trying to get my bearings, and I'm freaking out about going up on stage, and so I go How up old on this. You? I was 21. Okay. Um, go up on stage and I was like, all right, like figure this out. And I had this intro that like lined up and it was like, it was a terrible dubstep song, like back in 2011 when everyone made terrible dubstep. Yeah. And the intro, the only reason I chose it is because I had Flava Flav naming cities and one of the cities he named is DC. And I was going to like, like delay effect out DC. So it like perpetuated. And then I was going to drop a tech, uh, dubstep record. And I got so nervous. I just played the record as it was. And, <laughs> and, but the thing is like that record was terrible. It's trash. It was a bad fucking record, but I swear for some reason when the bass hit, the sub hit on the drop, like my, I don't remember anything that happened after that. Like wow. that was the whole, like that was it. I was like, this is it. This is wow. what I'm doing. This is my entire life now. Mm. So, <laughs> I do remember after the show because I walked down thinking I was about to get paid and I got $50 in cash and I was like, this is not what I thought <laughs> I was going to get. I'm kind of amazed you got anything. I know, right? I know. But I mean, those guys were great though. They were like my DC friends for a long time and they really supported me through that whole like local DJ phase. And mm. then um, when I left, they're still very supportive. I go back to DC and I'll see them at the shows and they'll be like, what's up? I'm like, how are you here? How did you know this is my thing? They're like, oh, I don't know. We found you on the internet. Um, sometimes it's surprising. Sometimes I'll see people at the show and they'll be like, "Hey," and like, "Oh, what are you doing here?" I'm like, oh, "This is my show," and they're like, "What?" Oh, fuck! I did not know. I did not connect the <laughs> Didn't dots. Didn't make the connection. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it was a good time. But yeah, that was some shit, man. I just can't. Yeah, I don't even know. 
Well, I love the what you said is that you didn't even remember anything after I, that, I, right? Even a little bit, because that's that's those moments of transcendence. And to uh, I'll end it on a weirdly religious note: is that start where we end it? Yeah, hundred percent, man. I because I'm not religious in any way, and I I don't really buy into religion in any way. But there there are those weird transcendent moments, right? Where like you said, you don't remember anything, and I've had that on stage or even just watching a show too. Where all of a sudden, you know, I'm, you're out of reality somehow, yeah. and and that's to me, music is like the best argument for spirituality that I've come across so far. Yeah, it's it's something else, and everything like math and music and alignment and the way that it all works together, like there's something happening there. Yeah. I don't know what it is, and I'm not really trying to explain it, but. Like I'm sure you could have books written on it. You do have there are books there written are, on it. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe maybe we'll go read those books now. <laughs> <laughs> Signing off. Fuck techno. I'm reading a book now. <laughs> All right, peace. <laughs> yeah. That's the show. Shout out to IO. Great to sit down with you, man. I hope we can get to do that again sometime. That was really fun. Don't forget IO's new song with Tommy Trash, Let Me Go, is out right now on Mousetrap Recordings. He's on tour. You can follow the link in the description of this episode to find out everything he's got going on. My name is Willie Joy. Don't forget you can also reach out to me. Backtobackpod at gmail.com is the email address or at Willie Joy or at Back to Back Pod on all social media. That's it for this week. I'm about to fly back to the West Coast. I have a bunch of interviews lined up for the next week. Some really exciting names. Can't wait to share this all with everybody. And until then, I hope you have a great week, great weekend. Have some fun, relax, and you know, just go do something you want to do. Sometimes we don't let ourselves just enjoy shit enough. So go out there, have fun, take care of yourself and I will talk to you next week. For Back to Back, this is Willie Joy. Peace.